In Rudyard Kipling's Just So Stories, he wrote, I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and why and when and how and where and who. I want to start my sermon today asking who? Who? Who is Jesus talking to? Normally we're told directly, you know, it's, it's the apostles, it's the disciples, it's some Pharisees, it's folk he's got a huge crowd with. But who is Jesus talking to? And along with that, who is a person of God's way? And who has fallen fallen far short of what their life should be? Who will know mercy and grace? The answer to all of these is actually us. It's us. He's talking to you and me. Was that the answer you expected? We are people of God. We, whether we admit it or not, fall short. But we can know mercy and grace. Now, of course, we were not actually present 2,000 years ago as the parable was being spoken. And we often consider that the, the hearers, the ones that Luke is talking about as he introduces it, were the Pharisees, the guardians of the law. But Luke doesn't directly say that the parable is being spoken to Pharisees. We, we imply that. It, it's, it's a parable where a Pharisee thinks highly of themselves and they're looking down on somebody else. And that is the description that Luke is giving, isn't it? to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. And so we say, oh, it's probably the Pharisee because it's the Pharisees that are there, isn't it? But the gospel writer leaves a little bit of ambiguity You know, if if he just said the parable was heard by the Pharisees, we would shake our head and go, ah, those rotten Pharisees. They're like this all the time, aren't they? Just these Pharisees. We instantly, in doing that, become exposed as people trusting in their own righteousness and looking down on others. This parable is spoken to everyone who has at some point 
being racist or sexist or misogynistic. It applies to every one of us who has discriminated in thought or word or deed against a person because of their circumstances or their health, their employment, their education, their immigration status, or the life decisions that haven't worked out as they had dreamt. Anyone who is confident of their righteousness but then looks down on any other individual is someone that is showing that they themselves are not humble, kind, and loving, that they are not following God's way, that they are not actually righteous at all. Now, of course, this is saying those who are confident in. Being confident is not wrong in itself. Indeed, we often see in the Old Testament people who need a bit of a boost of confidence. Sometimes we see in church folk that need a boost of confidence, a little bit of encouragement. In the Old Testament, we, we see Isaiah and he's saying, oh, no, I can't be a prophet. But he has a vision that the Lord gives him of a coal cauterizing his unclean lips. And he finds, oh, yeah, I can actually share the message that the Lord has put on my heart. And we see Gideon whose fleece-laying was answered. You know, he puts it down. Is it going to be wet and everything round about it dry? Is it going to be dry and everything round about it wet? You know, to lay a fleece is arguably breaking a commandment. You know, it's putting the Lord your God to the test. But yet, the Lord gives him confidence to do what he's called to do through that fleece-laying exercise. Yesterday at the LICC Learning Hub that a group of us from church attended, one of the topics was about our confidence in telling God's story, of getting the stories to align, other people's stories, our story, God's story, bringing them together. And we were reminded, given a bit of a boost, that we don't tell the story of God by ourselves. We're not alone, but we're there with the Lord in partnership. We are told that prayer changes things, and it does, and we can remember that. And you know. And we can remember to pray for folk. And that when we talk of faith to somebody that needs to grow in faith, we aren't selling a product, but sharing in a journey, helping them along the way. And we're helping the other person put the parts of a, 
a puzzle together that they can see the picture, like a jigsaw. You're saying, you know, maybe if you just try this piece over here. We're not engaged in a judo match. It's not about wrestling the person to the floor, holding them down till the submit. That's not how the faith is shared. When we understand what it is that we're doing and realize that it's actually something that we can do, we grow in confidence. And God wants us to be confident in the right things. He wants us to be confident as we live as his disciples every day, walking the way of Jesus, sharing his love with others, just casually, because that's who we are, everyday disciples. But the text reveals that if we're not actually faithful people, if we have a holier-than-thou life attitude, which comes because of our religious activities, and they are those that don't do the religious activities, then we shouldn't be so confident of who we are because we're pretending to be somebody that we're not. That's the Pharisees. That's who they are. That's how they live. I fasted for two days. So? It didn't make that Pharisee in the parable a better person, did it? It didn't bring them closer to God. Who's the other person in this? Well, it's a tax collector. And I do wonder at times whether uh, some 21st century individuals' thoughts on tax might be based on how collections used to be in the first century. You know, tax is needed. It needs to be collected to enable a country to operate. In our society, to have health care or education or police or defense or protect the weakest of society. Now, actually, similar aims were there in the first century. They didn't have the NHS. They didn't really have schools. They didn't really have the police, but they did have an army and that had to be funded. But who is it funded by and who for? The land was occupied. So a tax collector worked on behalf of an occupying power. They were collecting money that would be used to pay the occupying forces and to keep unfaithful people in power. You can start going, well, not a very good use of your money if you're paying for somebody that you don't actually want to be there to be running your things. It paid to enable the Herods of the land and the governors like Pilate to live in a rich manner. It's not really what the people wanted. By paying taxes, they enabled the people to enforce the brutal laws. That's not really what they wanted. 
The tax collectors were local people, Jewish people, who worked for Gentiles. And that work, the fact that they were working for Gentiles, made them unclean. And on top of this, the collectors had a little bit of a reputation for gathering more than what was the required tax. They embezzled. They gave themselves a little backhander. The first century tax collector is an unclean, Gentile-supporting, oppressive regime-supporting swindler. Not the most popular person. And he stands off from the temple because he is forbidden to enter where other people, other people even of his family, would be allowed. Where the other people would pray, where the other people would worship, he cannot go. And yet, this person comes. They come and they stand at a distance. At a distance, he has come close to God. He recognizes who he is, who humanity is. For we are all in our own strength, far from where we should be. But in his prayerful cry for mercy, he asked the Lord to be favorable, to have grace, to have mercy. He knows he is undeserving. There's nothing that he's done that would warrant any mercy until this point of simply coming close. He's undeserving. But will the Lord be abounding in love? Of course. God is always full of love. Jesus tells us in a different parable that God is the Father watching and waiting with outstretched arms ready to embrace even the Son who had basically said earlier, stuff you, I wish you were dead. You know, that's the parable of the prodigal son. God loves everyone, and his arms are out waiting. The heavenly Father loves you so much that he sent his only son to earth, that Jesus would take the pain, the pain of suffering, of sin, to the cross, dying in your place, in my place, enabling us to know mercy, to know grace, to find a seat, not simply in this place for this feast, but a seat at the heavenly banquet, the feast that the Lord himself provides. 
the one that comes with a heart seeking forgiveness in new life, receives forgiveness and new life. They are justified before God. The one that is simply going through the ritual but doesn't recognize why such a practice was ever introduced, the Pharisee, is not the one seen to be righteous before God. I would hope that as you hear the parable, as you reflect on it, as you think about it, you might identify yourself more with that tax collector than the Pharisee. But I wonder how the outside world sees us. How do they see the church? How do they see you? How do they see me? For many people that are not of the faith, they see us as the Pharisee, the one who speaks the law but doesn't necessarily live it. We need confidence to show the world that we are that tax collector, that we are like them. We are people that fall short, people that are broken. We need to show that brokenness within us for them to hear that Jesus is the one that brings us wholeness. In our lives, many of us will have lived through incredibly painful experiences, physically or emotionally. Things that were painful. Things that are maybe still going on. Things that drain us and make us weary, make us cry. We don't have it all together. But we do have God with us. And we know that God is with us. God is with us bringing hope and bringing healing. And when we come, even standing at a great distance, may be fearful to come closer because of where we've been. He pours out mercy and grace and brings renewal into our life. Many of us, just as we've been broken, will also have experienced this, that we can be made whole. Only by God have we been able to continue. Others need to know that bit of our story. That this is why we praise, why we rejoice, why we sing Hosanna. Because this is the God who saves us. This is the God who gives us life. It's why we still gather in a way that is now countercultural. 
It's why we followed the Lord. It's because of Jesus. I want you, as I've just done, to think of that honest serving man who, who, who is it that you know is broken and needs the wholeness that Jesus can offer? Who is it that you know that needs to be encouraged by hearing something of your own journey? Who is it that we need to share that we're more of a tax collector than a Pharisee with and break that pattern that society sees? Give us a few seconds of quiet as we think of that. Who? We pray, Lord, you are full of love. Help us to recognize our frailty and in that may we discover our strength is in you. Shine your love forth. Speak to us that we may have the words to speak with friends about the difference you make in our life, that you are able to keep us going even when we think everything else has gone wrong. And in that, may they discover the life and the hope that you offer. Amen.